Well, podcasting in general, it is, uh, it's kind of a wild west. It's whatever you want it to be. Yeah. It's, it's completely like an unwritten thing. And that's, um, that's why I love it. Like, that's why I really enjoy it. Cause when, when I first started this, when I moved to Nashville, I moved here seven years ago and I probably started the podcast now almost six years ago. Um, yeah, I just, I, I had like a radio show in high school, but I didn't have like any formal training on the microphone or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. I did a bunch of sales jobs Okay, and that's what really, um, I think was like contributed to this. Plus I'm also an Uber driver, so I learned how to really talk to people well yeah. between sales and Uber driving. The art of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's okay. And today we have Michael Vitovich. Uh, Did I pronounce it right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you are a forensic consultant and actor. Yes, I am. And we worked on a short film together where you were an actor. That's right. Um, Lost in a Glimpse. Yes. With a uh, previous guest, um, it might have been like two weeks ago now. Jonathan Corto, he was a director. Yeah, Jonathan's great. Um, Jonathan is amazing. Yeah, yes. But I was pretty much in the dark for the uh, the process because I was just at my house recording the songs. <laughs> and That's awesome. He gave me a general idea, and kind of told me like very loosely what he was looking for. But yeah. he gave me creative freedom to do my own thing. But I didn't know really what was going on other than there was going to be a bar scene. There was going to be a menacing figure, which was yeah. you. Yeah, totally. Um, which I, uh, I wrote a theme for you in that. That, uh, that theme, because um, he, he ended up using it earlier in the, in the short film, too. Yeah. But when you walk into the bar again, it, it syncs up so perfectly yeah. with the vibe. And, like, you're kind of, like, looking squirrely, looking around and yeah. everything. It was yeah. so cool. Just being very menacing and yeah, kind, of, exactly. kind of intimidating figure, which that's typically what I, I get cast in that stuff a lot, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I always admire, you know, guys like you, uh, you know, men and men and women that these composers that come in and they, they put together these pieces and it just, it's so easy for them. And, and it's, that's something that I've always admired, you know, that, that ability to kind of jump into something like that and have yeah. a theme or an idea or a feeling, you know, being able to be down to that, that level of, I guess, like an artistic expression. Yeah, no, well, I, I mean, I, I feel that. the same way about, about actors and, and writers and directors, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because it's like, I feel, and maybe maybe you can relate to this, like, sure. the older you start to get and you're kind of on your path, you realize there's only so many things you can be, like, really good at. You yeah, just want to yeah. focus on those. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I've always said this, that, you know, you, you should never be afraid to fail, just be afraid of not learning from your failures. Yeah. So um, for me, fuck, I've, I've failed a ton of times, yeah. but I've also tried a bunch of different things. And, and you, you sometimes it's sometimes in life, you just got to get to that level where you just throw enough shit against the wall and you hope something sticks. Yeah. I mean, truthfully, so. that's kind of where, where I'm personally at right now, because like late last year, I kind of had like this health thing come up. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if we talked about it or not when we were out at not TGI totally. Fridays. Yeah. But um, I, uh, it was it was like uh, th- these things that they're, they they are now saying is vestibular migraines. But it, okay. at first they were like it's vertigo, then they were like it's an inner ear issue, and they were trying to whittle down what it is. And basically, I get motion sickness from driving. Like even looking at this carpet six months ago would have yeah. triggered like a dizzy spell for me. Um, 
so it really limited me and it limited me making money. I stopped gigging because of it. And yeah. uh, I left these two bands that I was playing pretty regularly with because I had locked out a day job. Cause I'm like, I need to do something responsible right now. I yeah. need to get a day job, which I hadn't had like a full-time day job in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I ended up getting a job with Asurion. Okay. And I scheduled my last gig this Sunday before the Monday that I started. They reached out to me on the Friday and told me, yo, we're actually not going to gonna hire you. We're doing layoffs right now. Fuck. They already sent me the equipment, yeah. all this bullshit. So yeah. not only did I leave the bands I was in, which was a source of income. It wasn't a lot, but it made a yeah. difference. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, I was already struggling driving. Yeah. I was sick all the time. I was just depending on so many people around me. Which I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. You just met Danny. He's yeah. a, he's a good friend, and we lived together at the last place. Like I was telling you. Yeah, yeah. But he basically uh, offered me to to move into his house that he owns, which yeah. is this place, and um, it's just been chaos. And then my car broke down a couple of weeks Fuck. ago as we were getting ready to move yeah. and planning all that shit, and then I got paranoid this past weekend because my transmission what I thought was my transmission started yeah. making weird noises. But yeah. my, my dad was just here like 10 minutes before you were. And he looked at it and he's like, no, it's fine. It's just old. Shit. So it's, it's been non fucking stop for me yeah. this year. But the thing that I've learned as many times as I've wanted to give up and quit. Yeah. And I've just felt like, uh, okay, if God takes me in my sleep, it is what it is. But, um, it's been tough, but there, there's, I think there's something to be said for continuing to try no matter what. But there's a sense of strength when you get to that point. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost feels like, um, you, you become fucking iron yeah, at that point. Absolutely. Because there ain't shit that's going to fucking stop you. Yeah. If, if you get to the point where you, you, where death doesn't even make you scared, well then, and Fucking everybody needs to watch out. Yeah, no, for sure, absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, and and like I said, I'm 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 very lucky to have the support of uh, the people that I have in my life. Yeah. But it is a process, as you were saying, where you just have to continue to throw shit at the wall and see what yeah. sticks. And looking yeah. like objectively away from myself, the one thing I'm proud of. This year, even when I was sick, I would just pop my medicine. I'm like, I still got to do a podcast. I think I maybe missed one or two episodes. And even in those weeks, I reposted old episodes. Yeah. So with the podcast, I was like, I have to be consistent with one thing. Yeah. Um, And it's been a real ego death in a lot of ways, not being able to be a functioning adult making making their their own money and having to accept help from people fuck yeah yeah um I'm, i've been with there i've i've been in that that zone oh yeah you know um i went from um having you know like in in the process of of chasing to become like a full-time actor you know i i started out doing you know kind of like i i'll throw my 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 past history i started doing autopsies uh, in 2001, um, prior to that in like through in like 1996, uh, I started picking up, uh, dead bodies for a funeral home, mm-hmm. like re- recovery service. So I, I got used to getting out and, and s- seeing what it was like from a scene of a crime to the, 
to like a hospital morgue to a, uh, a medical examiner's office uh, and picking up these various bodies and taking them to funeral homes. Uh, so I started out doing that, started doing autopsies from there. Uh, and, and in that, now I don't want to get lost on what, 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 were the, what the point where we're trying to go. We can, we can go off on tangents. So, okay, good, okay, good, good, good. Some, sometimes we'll get fucking way lost on a we'll, tangent. We'll get lost so, on tangents. It's totally okay. But this is, uh, this is where I guess I was trying to steer it, steer it to the original, you know, like when, when we started talking about, hey, that you would be an interesting person to come on this podcast. Um, that's, when I, that's when I told you a little bit more about what I, what I do. Uh, you know, I'm, but it took me time to find that balance between those two, uh-huh. you know, and I, I started doing, I started doing autopsies because it was something that came natural and easy to me, easy to me to be okay, to be around like dead bodies, to try to find out that cause of death, that, that whatever stopped them. Yeah. You know, and, and given you the, uh, and, you know, and this is, this is the point that I'm making and we'll, we'll double back around again. But I, I did that for 10 years. You know, I was, I was doing it for dealing with dead bodies, death, dying. Uh, I, I got into a, a small thing of, of cancer. Oh shit. Yeah. So like I had cancer. And so now I went from, you know, sorting out the dead bodies to being like, I was, you know, I was, I'm going to be one. Yeah, exactly. I went from 275. I'm I'm six foot four. I was, I was 275 and I was like strong, full of muscles. Yeah. And I wasted away down. I wasted down to like 190 pounds. Oh shit. Yeah. So like that, that was so, it was so drastic. And within four months I had, I think I had like three, three surgeries. So shit. Yeah. And, and, and all, all hit me, but I was, but I had been doing autopsies for for a number of years so I that hit me and I was at a kind of a crossroads in my life like where where do you go from there if you don't get out of that position then you're destined to be stuck in that and and eventually well fuck it I'm gonna have to lay down on the table myself yeah you know it happens to all of us of course that's inevitable yeah but but fuck you know you don't want to have to you go to work every day you don't want to have to say okay well i'm gonna fucking die tomorrow you know i could die tomorrow and and we had i had plenty of times with that where you had friends and family that you would see on you know dead on the table there's 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 a couple people that i did you know the autopsies that were were close friends you know and that sucks and then go into like their funeral and shit afterwards. That's that's tough. So, but we'll, we'll get into that bullshit in a little bit more. But to to kind of to run from that a little bit, you know, I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know what, fuck this whole life. I'm getting out of it. I'm getting out of it, and I'm getting away from it. And and I I went and uh, started doing acting. Was it acting something you always wanted to do? Acting was something that I always wanted to do, and and when I you know when I was faced with that that question of of okay you could die tomorrow, now what do you want to do with your life, you know and, and it's it's one of those things I think where now with with everybody that went through COVID, you you kind of get that that slight oh yeah bit. it was right in front and center of everybody's face and I feel like that's one of the reasons that we had a. Uh, societal meltdown. I think in a lot of ways it was 
as much as we can have today, uh, it's it's like a like an ego death, and we experience it. I was just a kid when nine eleven happened. Yeah. Um, but and, and of course, when you're a kid, you, you you can't process it in the moment. You don't really know what's going on. I was working in a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was in the fourth grade. But um, I mean, nine eleven. Just we had the twenty first anniversary last month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I was a kid how nice everybody was to each other. There was there was a sense of uh, American pride yeah. that hasn't really exist, existed since, you no. know. Um, and I, I think there was a little – there's been little blips of it. I think when – not necessarily, but even when Obama got elected to a certain mm. degree, there was a little bit of that where it was like, okay, we're not, we're not that bad. Yeah. Like taking the politics out of this situation – yeah, yeah, but like, and then it got more divided. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, and and yeah, politics are such a such a fucking slippery slope. Nowadays. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about politics. No, well, I, I and I I can I can say it. Yeah, you know, I and I I have no no fear of of saying it. I'm a very tolerant person, um, but there's there's more common sense. That that that's needed, you know. There there's this. I, I guess I I kind of look at it sometimes with like the the kind of George Carlin esque kind of point of George view. George Carlin's great. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, but it's like that that idea that this is just an illusion. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's. Uh, I I don't know I don't know if anybody's ever said this in the past, but this was kind of something that I thought of the other day, where it's like. When, when you're young and you're passionate and you have these ideals of, of a better tomorrow, you, you're really, you're a Democrat. And then when you, you, you finally learn that you're going to get lied to and you're going to get fucked over no matter what, and you're, whatever money you make, everybody else is going to try to take You're going to take a piece. Yeah. So then you become a Republican. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, but at the end of it, if you really look at it and you see that we're shifting from one thought process to another thought process... That's all it is. Is it's just it's just cycling into this bullshit system of the same ways that are never going to change, and it's really never going to be a big difference. The the shit that we suffered with and are, is going to be the same things that our kids are going to suffer with, and it's the same shit that our our parents suffered with. Yeah, it's just branded and and put down differently. Well, do you think it's something that's particularly American about that, or is that is it a human problem? I, I think it's a Western, you know, it's a Western problem. A Western problem with because of privilege. We're, well, well are, you you think you think uh, you know the Puritan you know Judeo Christian understanding that we were established with here in the United States. Yeah. That 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 is really founded on a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, you know? shame. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's where we're we're in a uh, you know kind of an echo chamber of that. Where it's like that, that that shame and that fear is big business. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent. It's either if you're not sick and they don't keep you sick, they're gonna keep you kind of mentally chained, and, and if they it, and it's all to pacify the masses. Yeah, you know, it, you know, I I and I don't want to get too political and I don't want to get too thing, but like I just I'm just I just can't accept bullshit. I guess like. I believe I, I believe in equality for everybody. Yeah, 
I, I, I don't give a shit. Absolutely. Who you want to be with, what you want to love, I don't care. No. I don't care. I, I want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I don't want anybody to to overshadow anybody else's happiness. Or feel left out. Yeah. And that's where the level of tolerance has to come into it. You know, that we, we need to, like, take a step back and take a, take a moment and say, okay, what do you, where is your perspective coming from? Where, where is that idea? You know, and that just takes time and communication. Yeah. So, but shitting on somebody instantaneously because they're of a certain race is yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I feel, and that's why, like, for me, I've always been a very comedic type guy. You know, I, I've, I've done a little bit of stand up. I'm still working on it, but. A man of many talents. That's right. I'm tr- throwing shit against the wall, Let's my see, friend. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to stick and then stay there. So, but that, that leads me, I guess that also leads it back to the conversation of, you know, I, I kind of found myself also without a job. And so I had to make, make a market. And uh, I started doing my own forensic consulting. And from what I know, and, and the business that I know, and the experience that I have over, over 20 years in, in various institutions, I started doing consulting for morgue management. Yeah. And um, I put my name out there as, as Two Ravens Consulting. Nice. So, and, it, you know, and that was like the, the whole idea was like the, I, I sat and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and said that the idea of Two Ravens were, you know, it was basically, you know, hugging and mugging from, from Norse, Norse mythology. Okay. That, that they basically, they would consult after with Odin sitting on one on his right shoulder, one on his left shoulder. Uh huh. And so, and I came to that, uh, back in 2007, 2000, well, yeah, no, uh, two, yeah, 2007, 2011, after I had can yeah, after I had cancer and, um, and I started this whole, in 2013, I started kind of like the consulting stuff because I was just trying to do something else. But I have a tattoo on my back of a, of a raven, and it's sitting on a skull, and it has a 311 quote, and it says, the earth will not, has not swallowed me yet. And it's because I haven't, I'm not looking forward to death. I'm trying to figure it out and understand it. And that's why I'm, uh, you know, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> so when you first started, like your first job kind of, in that whole industry was you were picking up dead bodies for a funeral home. Yes. What was the start of that job like for when you're a rookie coming in off the street? Well, it was, uh, it was this, this little, this little business, um, that I, I knew the, um, I, I knew the, the owner, I knew the owner and I kind of reached out to him and I said, you know, Hey, I'm, thinking about becoming a forensic pathologist. Uh, I'd like to be around dead bodies a little bit more because I think that if I can stand that and I can stomach that, then I think that would be a good industry that I want to move forward in. I just graduated from high school in uh, September of 96. So everybody that, that puts all that together, you could see that I'm an old guy. Uh, but doing my best. <laughs> old is an idea. Yeah, yeah, old. Yeah, old is old is in mileage, not necessarily yeah. my existence. <laughs> but um, got yeah, I started doing. I, I did that, and it's it's kind of a they give you a pager, and you kind of start out as a 
you know, a high school kid and they're like, when you're a you, gopher. Yeah, you, that's right. When, when this pager goes off, make sure you're dressed in a suit and tie and you show up at this, this location. So like, okay, cool. They, you, they showed up to a little, an area. Um, you got into a, uh, like a, a little a van and you went off and drove off to a location. And first couple times it was just like, you know, somebody dies in a nursing home. So you go and you pick up somebody in a nursing home and somebody's, somebody's dead and <laughs> you, you get some fucked up situations where you, you know, you like you'd fuck with the new guy. And sometimes that was, I was the new guy and they're like, Hey, go out bed too. So you're like, okay. Yeah. You start walking into the room, you start parking your cot, you start undoing the belts, you start folding the blankets and then you put the thing in, you pull back the, the drapes and you scare the shit out of the old lady that's sitting there, <laughs> you know? And then, and then you're like, oh, sorry, ma'am. Oh, excuse me. Cause she, she's like, you know, and you're like, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. You're, like, you're you not dead. Yeah, exactly. You, you back out of the room and, and then your fucking buddy's laughing at you in the corner and you're like, you son of a bitch, yeah. you know? And then you're, he's like, he's like, <laughs> bed one. And you're like, fuck. So you go back, you know, you go back into the room politely. Excuse me, ma'am. Sorry, sorry about that. And you pull her curtain back, and then you move the body over. So that was one of the things that you you get good at moving bodies, you know. And and all of that is it's dead weight. People, you you start to see the stiffness when when bodies start going through rigor mortis. Uh, they the, to educate everybody on that one. Uh, rigor mortis kind of comes on at, in the rules of twelve. It takes 12 hours for it to really show up. It lasts for 12 hours and it dissipates at 12 hours. So at 36, you're going to get a body that's cold and flaccid. Uh, but, Interesting. Yeah, but if but at like 24 hours, um, their body could be stiff as a board. They're lying flat and they die flat. They could be stiff as a board. So we can get into all of that good stuff as we go on. So. Was there anything that's, that still sticks with you to this day where you thought, oh, shit, this is really for me and I'm enjoying this? Or was there like a certain death call that you had where you had to go pick someone up and it's just like, it just changed your perspective on life? Yeah, yeah. There, you, you got to a point where uh, you really, you, you, you're working so many hours, so many long hours that you get burnt out. And you, you're not sleeping well and you're kind of like, you almost turn into like a ghoul. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like you're, you're a walking zombie trying to balance a day shift life with a night shift job, you know? Yeah. And, um, for me, I remember, I remember being so beyond like kind of burnt out and not empathetic. And then, you know, like kind of like everything's monotonous you go, you go through all the motions. You're just in the grind. Yeah, you're just you're you're in the grind, and then we had this. I had this case where uh, I went to pick up this this grand, you know, this grandmother had passed away, and uh, and I believe she was uh, Jew of Jewish faith. So there's a there's certain set of protocol that you follow along with that, and so it's like the you know you you make sure that the. I, I got to remember the, yeah. I got to remember it so I don't make sure, but it's like making sure that it, you leave feet first or making sure that it's getting like, but there, there is a, there's, there's a, a, another, like they have to leave the building, but it's feet first. They can't leave head first because it's, it's bad. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's bad, a bad, a bad faith. Yeah. It's like bad juju essentially, like without knowing the correct terms and, and not being offensive to, to anybody. And, um, but I know that they have to leave feed first and you put them into the, like the, the, the van feed first. Um, but in the pro and, and you have, and we had family members that were going down in the, uh, in the elevator with us to see grandma off. Yeah. And it was the last call of the day and I'm going, you know, I'm sitting there just no, no emotion, let, letting the family just have all the emotion. My mind is thinking of, I got to take this body here. I got to go do this. I got to do that. Not thinking of anything that they're from their perspective. <laughs> At all, and as cats fight. Yeah, that those, was are, really, those are our cats. <laughs> fucking good timing. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, that scared the shit out of I, me. I was like, I was like, what the fuck? Anyways, that should sound awesome on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the thing is like I was not, I was not connecting or thinking of their emotions at all. Yeah. It was totally business to me, and this little girl leans over and she's like, "Are you, are you an angel?" And I was like, what? She goes, are you, are you the angel of death? Come to take my grandmother to heaven. And I just looked at her and I was just like, no, no, I'm not. You know, like, like, what do you, like, what do you want to fucking scare her at that yeah. point? But like, I, I, I thought about that, but just that moment where it was like, no, no, honey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the devil. I'm not the angel. I'm, I'm just, I'm just somebody to help. Yeah, that's it. So like that was that was a powerful moment for me. Um, I had another powerful moment when I when I first started doing autopsies. Um, there was there was a there was a time when um, shit. Just thinking about it, uh, <laughs> there was a moment when. I was I was doing these death calls, and when I say a death call is when, when a when a person dies at, in a hospital setting, uh, some some places have this mortality office, this like an office that deals with everybody that dies. So what they do is they send somebody from this office to deal with the family, to request a funeral, to either see if the case needs to be a medical examiner's case. Um, if they're going to be a donation, like an organ donation case, mm -hmm. and, and to figure out what funeral home they're going to go to. So there are people that are out there. If, they, if, they're, if not, then it's handled by the floor nurse. The floor nurses will be those people, the, the by proxy, that kind of handle that, that stuff. So um, essentially, I, I went upstairs to, because you know anytime that they have the morgue, it's always in the basement, right? So I always keep you in, they always keep you in this shitty, dingy, dingy places, right? Uh, because we're all, you know, some people are ghoulish people, but just awkwardly social people, not like myself. So, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I was, I was waiting for this, the, the floor nurse called, I went upstairs to go request the autopsy. Uh, I, all I knew was that a mother, mother, you know, she had a, two kids that, they're twins that died. Oh God! So Jesus, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Going up to 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 deal with those. How old were they? Oh, not not old. Um, they were almost twenty some weeks. 
Oh, damn. Yeah, so yeah. So they're, they're like small. Infants. Yeah, 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 real small. And uh, and so I'm, I'm sitting there, and it was also one of those things where it's like you're, you're delivering the information. Okay, you know, I, I, I'm sorry for the loss of your, your loved ones. I, I'm, and, you know, this is the spiel that you kind of give. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the loss of your loved one. Um, I, I just wanna, want you to understand what the process is. Do you, do, do you kind of get an idea of what's going on? And in the process of me explaining to it, one of the kids died, but the other one was sitting on her chest, took a breath. And I, and I stopped and I said, you know what? Now is not the time for me to do this. You need to spend time with, the, with, your, with your child. And I, I excused myself out of the room and I said, this is not the fucking time to request an autopsy. Yeah. Especially on, you know, when she's spending the moments as your, as your personal time. Final dying. moments. Yeah. Shit, man. I mean, that's heavy as shit. Yeah. yeah. How, how deep at this point were you into your career? <laughs> shit. First couple years. Okay. So it's you know. still kind of new. You, this is like Batman Begins kind of. Yeah, yeah. You're, the, you're still the in the process of learning. You're, you're, I'm working in a, uh, <clears throat> a county-run hospital, and uh, you get some of the worst of the worst for the city. So you get some real interesting people, some real interesting patients. <laughs> Since this is kind of like a Halloween type episode, I remember a time where you go, you get a death call, and I went to the emergency department, and I'm uh, reading through these records and going over and trying to determine what's going on with this case. And you hear this, you hear this person start yelling from this room, and it was like, and it was like unintelligible, like you had speaking no, in tongues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, you, and then you see this this doctor come out he slams the fucking door and he's like motherfucker and he's like ah, she thinks she's possessed and he fucking walks off and i'm <laughs> so i'm laughing my ass off because i'm like i'm like am i the only one that's seeing this shit you know because it's normal common day stuff for them but for me you know a, a dumb kid like a couple years into my career i'm just like this is fucking great you know <laughs> i'm laughing at that shit yeah you know god um but that, you know, that, that's, those are funny, you know, like those are, I can remember funny moments of, of the work that, that make me love it. Um, there was, there's such a, a charge you, you get when you, when you're like working on a case and you're going through and you can figure out, you can almost see it. Just, just, you can stand back and you can see exactly what happened to that person like on csi and shit when they're going back through and they're like piecing it all together yeah yeah you you can kind of get that in your mind if you if you really look at the fucking like the case the like the body i was like i got to that point in my career when i could you could just look at the body and you can say they were struggling they were running they were battling this is what i see this is what i you know and and i've had a, a couple I had a really good uh, scene investigation. Oh, it was, it was, it was brutal. I could, I could talk about this one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could talk about this one, and and I don't want to give any specifics, but it, I, I, if you're intelligent enough, you could put all the pieces together. Yeah. But but it's it's you know an open case. It's not. Um, yeah, that case is like open. It's shut. Um, there was. There was a scene where you could see that an argument, you know, basically, we get we get two bodies, 
And I won't give you the details of those bodies yet, but I'll set up the scene. Okay. So the scene was, is you see, you see, um, a big bloody mess in the garage. Uh-huh. All right. And there's, you, you got, you could do like the, the typical chalk outline, all the, all the bits of, of, of little bits of evidence, markers that you see in the scene. But you could also look and you see next to that, next to that garage, you have, and I only started with, uh, and I honestly, I only started with the garage because that's where the body was. Yeah. The next spot is the, is the kitchen. And in that kitchen is where the killer grabbed all of the knives from the block, the butcher block. Fuck. Yeah. And then you see, you see a nice little spot where you see, you, you can see blood, blood marks and a blood trail going back and forth from room to room. There's another small room over here on the, on the, to your, to your right. That is, uh, that's a child's room. And over here to the left was the, the, the boyfriend and the, and the girlfriend's room. The argument started out with them in that main room, started out in that bedroom. And you could see, you could see a, like they had a mirror, a big mirror that was, <clears throat> so you see the bed, there's two, two tables next to it, two lamps. One of the lamps got picked up and smashed onto the girl's face. So you could see that there's, there's blood, but the blood, it, it throws, it's, it's what, it's known as the void. Because if you hit somebody in top of the head, there's going to be spatter that's going to be thrown off. And the void is going to be between where you're standing to where I'm standing. So there will be blood behind you if blood is casted off, and there'll be blood around you. And that's if you're bleeding profusely. So when the fight started here in the bedroom, he went from here. She started to get away. He busted her ass up against that, that mirror. And you, I remember a perfect imprint of the side of her face oh, God. And, on, and her hair because he just like, bitch, and he like you know, pushed her against yeah. the thing, which then snapped that piece off. It flipped. And then she, God bless her, she was trying to get away again. And he looked, and he looked like he, he grabbed one of the lamps, smashed her on top of the head. And then she started bailing out. And that's where he was grabbing the butcher block pieces chasing her and then he ends up stabbing her and that's where he ended up he wrote a note in the garage slapped it on her and like such and such and like bitch you know yeah and then what what the scene didn't what you don't see about the scene until you go into the other room and there was a child oh god and fuck. so he just kills the mother and then he runs back in gets the child grabs that kid and then bails out the front but you can see you can see basically the, the how the blood trail goes interesting so but I remember that that case and 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 looking from where it went where it started where it where it ended and how how uh, how it ended and that's those are one of those cases that you'll always remember you'll remember I'll remember shit I, I've worked on I've worked on a serial killer 
Oh, shit. Yeah. I did um, eight of uh, 11 victims for a serial murderer that they had in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, It was the Anthony Sowell, uh, the Imperial Avenue murders. Okay. What was kind of his um, his calling card? uh, He was... was, Taking advantage of, I guess the. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're good, man. Uh, the the interesting thing that um, is is it's rare to have a black serial killer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, what he ended up doing is he was taking these these women that had drug drug and alcohol issues. He would he would get them high and then trade. It would be a trade off for sex, and he would strangle them. Yeah. And so he was strangling them and then hiding their corpses around his house. Damn, okay. So, and I remember, gosh, that was, I think that was 2007, if I remember right. I'll have to Google that. Yeah. But it, 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 was, around, it was around this time of year that they ended up finding him, but it was so many years back. It was around Halloween time. Yeah. So that, like, that was an interesting time um, because I think it was like the, the Friday... Yeah, it was like the Friday before we they ended up finding two of the bodies and they came in and initially like the reports were like, oh, you know, this guy, they went to go serve a warrant and he's been staying with his mother and his his grandfather, his uncle and his, his aunt. And we're expecting that these are them. And so like you start you start like going through the, the bodies and you start looking at them and you're like. That's that's a that's a girl. What are they really decomposed? Oh yeah, there it was adiposeer. Yeah. What well, what does that mean? Adiposeer is is like a um, you get like some portions. Sorry, it just popped into my head again. Um, like I I can visually remember what she looks like. The some of those early ones. Um, there, it, it's like adiposeer is like this this kind of like drying of the skin. This this fat changing oxidation of fat into lipids, you know, like it, it becomes like this creamy soap. It's, I know oh, it sounds God. really weird, but the, it's, it's, um, it's where the fat oxidizes uh-huh. and kind of turns into either a paste or it turns into like a cream and it all depends on the environment that you kind of see it in. Yeah. I know, I know, I know you're looking it's at so it. fucking rough. <laughs> I, before, before we did this, I did not mention I'm super squeamish. Oh, dude. But, but go full detail. Do not I, be I afraid will, to go full do. detail. I, I, I feel like I must for your, yes, your, your listeners. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yeah, so you start doing these, these yeah. autopsies, yeah, yeah. figuring out that they're women. Yeah. What is the next move? Did you already know that this guy was a serial killer? Or well, did you go to them and you're like, yo... Well, I, yeah, like it was pretty much it, it, it was pretty much hush hush by the end of the first day, where everybody was like, I remember I did the first two cases, and there and there was already talk that there was potentially more more victims there, but it was like nothing. They did, they were like like we don't want to confirm anything yet, but there we believe there's something really big going on, and so we we got the first two, and that's all we really heard. And then the next day, we got five more bodies. Oh shit! And what, what was going through your mind? Well, well, by the end of that first day, uh, you know, I went back with the one investigator, and I and I looked at her, and I go, I go, I think we have a serial killer. I said, because there's two bodies, and they're they're of um, you know different differing ages, differing decomp, 
you know, de- decomp times. Because like, like I said, one, if you, it's all based on environment. Um, that's, sorry, it's like my brain will think on a couple different levels. Is it's, it's based on that environment for, for as a body starts to change. You get, um, if you have good airflow and um, the decomposition and like the um, bacteria is not multiplying, you will get, uh, you will get very leathery skin. Okay. Right? Yeah. Right? Um, because what it does is it will dry out versus um, start to become a, like a moist environment. It'll start to really autolyze. And that's why you got autolysis, the breakdown or the eating of oneself. It's, it's multiplying bacteria and bacteria and bacteria, which you get it from these places of, of extreme bacteria. So like mouth, anus, yeah. you know, vagina, yeah. meatus. You know, you're, that's why, like, if you ever see a dead body, they look, you know, sometimes if they're in farther, furthering stages where some of these bodies are, they were in, they were past the point of, of autolysis and they were in that, um, they were not quite putrefaction, but, um, but yeah, they were, they were definitely in that, that adiposere, like that fat and creamy stage. Um, and, and a lot of just kind of bloated. Is that what adipocere is? It's more like a, it's, it's, it's definitely like a change. It's past the bloat. Okay. So it's like, it's like where the bloat pops and it stops being wet. I know that sounds gross. Mushy. Moist and mushy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's like, it's a good stage. (laughs) It's, you know, I like, I know I have long hair now and it's like, it's more for the acting stuff. But good God, I, I used to just shave my head because like because like it just it's something that stays on your hair. Really? Yeah, it stays in your hair, it stays in your nose. <clears throat> yeah, it's just uh it's it's a gross smell, but it's just it's a very strong smell. So like there's there was times <laughs> I used to I used to work um, in Pittsburgh. And everybody knows, like, the whole mo- movie Concussion with Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, tell the truth, right? Well, that's called, that's Bennett Amalu. Yeah, I, I worked with him, too. Oh, <laughs> I worked, shit. I worked with him when I was in Pittsburgh, right? And um, he's great, great doctor. Really is. Really, really good guy. Um, one, of the, one of the funny things with, with that is, is I used to have my, I would ride the T which is like the, the local like transit station kind of a thing, you, the train. And it would go to my, to my house that I was living in the Pittsburgh Hills um, up, by, up by Mount Washington. And, uh, and then I would have days where like I would stink so bad and I'd get on the, I'd get on the tee and I'd just be sitting there and, I'd st- I, and I know that nobody else would want to stand around me because I just, just stunk, like dead yeah, I just <laughs> stunk so bad, yeah. Cause I was like, I was like, how do they not smell this? Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, oh, shit, I'm losing track of where I was going. Uh, you were t- you were on track with the uh, the Grand Imperial? Is that is it, or what was the name of the serial killer? Oh, 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 the Imperial Avenue. Um, Imperial Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's what. Uh, so you Anthony talk, so well. Yeah. You talk to the oh the detective. I assume it's a yeah. homicide detective, yeah. and you say, oh, "No, he was one of our death death investigators." Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I went to the I went to, went, went to our one of our death investigators. She was incredibly talented. I went to her and I said, "I said, hey, you know, you know what we got? We've got a serial killer here." Yeah, and she just like she goes, "Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking." 
because like as soon as you found and I, I proud I, I really I found I prided myself in finding the hyoid bone. Okay, what's the hyoid the, bone? The hyoid bone is this bone that is in your in everybody's neck and it's meant to hold your airway open. Yeah. And your esophagus open. Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. That's, yep. <laughs> that's, yeah, he was definitely hanging around. Yeah. So they, that's that whole thing. It's like you have the hyoid and then you have this epiglottis that goes over top. Okay. So as you chew food, yum, 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 the epiglottis kicks down and it covers your, it covers, yeah, it covers your airway, your trachea. So then it slides right down your esophagus. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So one of those things that you, you want to look for in any sort of manual strangulation is the hyoid. Broken. Because, yes. Because what a person will do, and, and this, this is actually kind of an interesting thing, is in, in, we, are, we, are, we used to be a very hands-on blue-collar America. Yeah. Right? Where everybody worked with their hands and everybody was good and they had real strong Everybody hands. worked in a factory. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the Rust Belt, where it, you're from. Exactly, exactly. So, like, everybody had really strong hands. But now there's, you're, we've seen a decrease in that, in manual strangulations, where they don't have enough strength to actually strangle somebody with their hands, their bare hands, because people don't have the time to strength, you know, yeah. the strength to be able to crush that. And to that, it actually takes about 33 pounds of pressure to be able to crush someone's Damn. airway, you know? But if you do, I know this sounds like bad. <laughs> maybe, this is, maybe this is not great information, but it's like how much, how much pressure you should not use. So like ver- versus like, uh, and, and I know that we always talk about, um, I know that there's, there's always that discussion of, of airways, trachea, illegal police holds and stuff like that. Yeah. You have the lateral vascular restraint it's where you, you, you tuck that right into the edge of their arms. You get up, and you're getting to their, their airway here. Um, oh, I, I, have, I actually have a, a video that I, I've posted on like my, my Instagram, stuff like that, where it actually shows the, the, the neck. I'll, I'll show it to you later. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, the, but essentially, like, that's where you're cutting off that air. For the be able the person to be able to breathe here, just like in Lost in a Glimpse, when you yeah. take the the yeah. belt and yeah. you're strangling yeah. the, the yeah, guy. Yeah, with yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's why I was laughing with Jonathan. I was like, I was like, well, if you go, you go like this, you could you could do that. And if you go like this, you know. And we were like laughing, you know, because he's like, he goes, I not many people have told me the exactly how that the dynamics of how that actually yeah. really works. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm pretty good killer at this way because like, I actually know how. You know yeah, how to do it. Yeah, I know how it really could happen, but yeah. I, you know, that's why I always get careful. <laughs> I want to be careful and make sure that everybody knows what the hell's going on. Anytime we're doing any sort of stunts like those, so but, um, but it, it was an interesting. It was an extremely interesting case. Um, you know, it was it was the first, first weird, oddly like it was like a serial killer kind of thing where it was like we had. Two cases the one day, five cases the next day, and then they uh, ended up digging up. They ended up, I think it was next, the following week on a Wednesday, they had to get a permit to be able to dig up the bodies that they thought were in the yard. And they ended up getting another four bodies. Damn. So it it was really interesting, but he was in the process of getting rid of some of the bodies because only they had, they had just a head left on one of them. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. So what was, happened to the the bones? I, I what what the theory is is that there was this 
place that was next to him, uh, like a, it was a sausage factory. And what they were doing, they were getting fined by the police because uh, like people in the community were complaining of the smell. And so everybody laughed, you know, like we're, we're like, we laughed at the office about it because we're like, we're like, oh, those that, you know, like this poor, the, these poor people have been getting penalized for years thinking it's them. And it could have been the smell from this, oh, okay. this cereal so they were killer. getting in trouble for the smell of their factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it could have, they could have very could've, well just been an escape goat. I think they, if I remember right, um, I think that they ended up suing the city. I don't know if they got their money back, but it was just an interesting, like. I mean, it's kind of just because in a way it's like, well, there was a serial (laughs) killer and you guys weren't on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are all these. So how long was it going on for? Like, was there a thing where it's like, oh, these women are missing in the area? No, no, but that's, and that's the sad thing of it. And, And that's. You know, I, you know, like that's that would be the next movie that could be made. You know, there, there. Let let's work on those those, those together. You know, um, because like they, you know, like uh, did you ever see the the the, the series Mind Hunter? Dude, yes. Okay, it is fucking incredible. Yeah, it's great, great. Now you saw the second season, right? Yes. And all of the the unfortunate issues that they ran into there, they you you get a lot of that that happened. Can you elaborate on that a little yeah, bit more just for they, the people listening? The unfortunate thing that you could kind of see is where, you know, and, and this is where you could get very, I guess you could, you could, you could twist it to, to sound very liberal in, in a lot of views, but like I understand, I understand it unfortunately from both perspectives. Yeah. So there you have this perspective of, um, you know, an entire community of inner city black yeah. folks that were, you know, were, were going missing and it didn't seem like the police Black were doing children. anything. No, they, well, that's in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, these these ones were they were uh, they were mothers, they were daughters, um, they were they were they were folks that had drug addictions and that were disappearing in the and community. just no one gave a fuck. It's the same that's, thing with yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. People are that's, talking yeah, about that yeah, right now. Exactly, and that that's a big that's a big thing. And and I remember you know going through all of that at the time, um, and and seeing that, and you know, and kind of seeing it from that perspective. But it's also it's it's also a weird culture sometimes where it's like they're like oh you know they they disappeared for for months and and we just didn't think anything of it you know and then they would this find this is not the first and especially yeah, if it's yeah. addicts yeah it's probably not the first time that they dropped out for a little yeah while. yeah and and unfortunately like they you know like that was the stories it's like you'd get these these folks that were like they were struggling with an addiction they would drop off their 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 child and then they would just disappear for a bit, and and the the parents the parents are unfor- you know the grandparents are unfortunately they're they're hopeless to to you know to really do anything, and you hope the next time you hear something from them you hear that they're alive but yeah not you just not to know. be taken out by a serial killer yeah somebody that's preying upon people in that situation. Well, it was so, like with the the Jeffrey Dahmer thing. He yeah. uh, targeted. Um, Black gay men yeah. during the the height of the AIDS pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And have you watched Dahmer yet on Netflix? I, I oh shit, I lived through some of it. So, um, I I start. I watched about half of it. Yeah. And and it's 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 extremely um, like it's it's good, but it like it, it reminded me of like uh, what the hell? It's very very auto like uh, homoerotic. 
I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I'm not. I don't. I don't give a shit. Like, but that it's it's accurate. But and and I think that they're taking it at least in a positive way. But it's it's just it's interesting to kind of see. Uh, <laughs> Evan Peters did an amazing he job on it. He did a fucking fantastic he's job. A gr- he's a great yeah. actor. I was never really sold on him, but when I watched when I was watching that first episode, I was like, he's one of the best actors of his yeah. generation. Yeah. Um, and just watching the show, there, I don't know if this was meant to be funny in the show, but these were the moments that I laughed. Sure. Anytime the police came around or anybody came snooping around, he's like, we're homosexuals. And yeah, then, yeah. Like, he and just they would, said like, kill it so him. deadpan. And there was no more questions after that. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I remember hearing some of the videos and stuff like that, you know, and it, it being like a, uh, it, it being very like lowbrow. They were basically like saying, you know, just just shitty stuff. So, but I, but what that uh, Nisi Nisi wasn't there. She wasn't saying. But what about these people? You know, yeah. you know. But she was great. She was great in it. Yeah. Yeah. But that like that was. You know, from the from the acting standpoint, that's definitely the driver in the in the story. She's know? really the heart in a lot of ways. Yeah, from, yeah. Because I probably watched two or three episodes, and yeah. the one thing that stood out to me was, of course, Evan Peters, and then her. Oh, yeah, and the father. Yeah. Oh the, yeah, the yeah. The dad that, from yeah. Uh, Six Feet Under. Uh, well, he was on Step Brothers. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. So, yeah. His performance. His performance was really, really. It was good to me because, like, yeah, you never. You never really touch on that aspect. Yeah, and and I think that that's I think that they're going a very incredible way about doing that, you know, because they're you know everybody. It seems like that's like the the thing on Netflix right now, right? Where it's like like they did the Bundy, they did Bundy, and then they did Bundy with Zac Efron, and they used all these heartthrob yeah. guys yeah, to kind yeah. of be yeah, the to, serial killer. Yeah, 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 and but like that's it's such a weird thing where it's but like. Yeah, Bundy. That that's what he. He was very charismatic and, yeah. and good looking, um, smooth talker. Yeah, but but you also have like you know they're setting up stuff for like with John Wayne Gacy. So like that's another one that potentially is going to be out there. You know that you, would be terrifying, man. You know what the fuck I would love to see, and I'll I'll say it here first on your podcast. I would love to see a season three of Mindhunter and have Evan Evan. Uh, Evan B. Jeffrey Dahmer and be interviewed. Oh, yeah. That would, that would sure. be fucking great. Well, for those who are listening who don't know, basically the, the premise of Mindhunter yeah. is about the start of the FBI psychologically profiling serial killers. And it's based off of the Mindhunter book by John Douglas, who yeah. was one of the first original um, you know, serial killer profilers. Yeah. Well, he actually coined him and uh, another, oh, God, I can't remember the guy's name. Ended up uh, coining the terms, which if you watch it, then it's like it's Holden Ford and and Tench. Tench, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's so a great Tench. actor too. Oh I, my I, god, yeah. I can't remember what that guy's name is, but everything I, he's I in, him. Yeah. he is so fucking good. And he he's was in so this good. movie. Um, he was in Fight Club. God, he was in everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. the movie I'm thinking of. Um, it was it was a Guy Ritchie movie that came out within the past couple of years. Uh, Wrath of Man, maybe, with Jason Statham. Okay. And he was in it. Have you seen that? I have not. Watch it, dude. I would Great movie. Uh, it's a slow burn action movie. That's awesome. Which is a, a great genre, you know? Yeah. Because it's also one part, like, mystery a little bit. Yeah. And you're piecing it together. Just watch it. That's all I'll say. Guy Ritchie's a fucking incredible director. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he tells some amazing stories. Yeah. I love it. Um, shit. What, what else can we go on with? Um, 
Yeah. I can still talk about Mindhunter for days. Oh, shit, I could too. Okay, I, I watched so it at least three, four times. The thing that terrified me the most in that show is the opening of season two. And this is the thing that scares me. Like, if I think of the scariest moment either in movie or TV show ever, it's this. Okay. Where it starts out with a slow, a slow pan in this kitchen. There's a radio on a windowsill. And it's playing... Every, in, uh, in Every Dream Home, A Heartache by Roxy Music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you remember this part? Yeah, yeah. And it slowly pans, oh, and you hear the sound of, like, you, you don't know what it is, but it's this door jiggling. Oh, I fucking and love that. I yeah. thought it was, like, a struggle of someone dying, someone getting killed, yeah, whatever. Because yeah. they don't really show murders on the show. No. They just show the, the after effects. Like, they'll show photographs, yeah. they'll go investigate the scenes, whatever. That's what it's about, yeah. But it pans, it finally pans to it. And this woman, she opens a door, and it's her husband, and he's in all of this BDSM gear. Yeah. And it, he was trying to, to do, like, autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah. And that was the sound of the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's truly horrifying when he turns around and she sees him. Yeah. Like, the horror of seeing that. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking that. It's more terrifying the- than Stephen King. It's more terrifying than, than The Fucking Shining, than It, than anything. Because that's real. That yeah. is out there. Yeah, yeah. It sets the tone for the entire second season. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the whole thing, and when they go to interview um, Charles Manson, he's oh, basically yeah. like, evil is a circle. Yeah, and yeah. He's, it, there's no way to, to get it. As soon as you get it in yeah. one area, it's already in another area. Yeah, absolutely. And that show is fucking genius. And yeah, that's I, great. They're, they're technically they're not supposed to do, like, it got canceled by Netflix. Yeah. But it's also the kind of show that 10 years from now, they can do with season three. Oh, yeah. And, and just pick up right there and, like, finish the story. Because basically what they're doing is setting up the story of Holden facing the BTK killer and yeah. busting him. Yeah. Which is fucking genius. Yeah. Because um, you've been building it since the first, first or first second season. episode. Yeah. 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 That's but why it's so great. It, it, I think, like, as far as, like, the, the, for the kind of show that it is, because it is kind of like, I can't remember what, what they call call them, procedural, because right. it is kind of like a procedural. Yeah. But there's something else a little bit more there. And there's some social things in there, too, that are interesting. Like, it was season two. It had the whole saga of, like, Holden trying to genuinely help these people. Yeah. He was a little bit naive, like, help, help these people the black people and everything that were coming yeah. to them, yeah. all of that. Um, and then it had that, the subplot of the, the lady that was also became like yeah. a third part of the team where she was a lesbian. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just other shit because like I, that. Yeah. Cause it was going to cause a lot of issues with her, but yeah. And then, and then the new change of, in, in, uh, management with yep. Ted. Yeah. Yeah. Ted being a, Ted being a big thing. Um, and, and it's also them starting to get, a little bit of notoriety. So then they're also starting to become um, quite cocky. Yeah. Holden was becoming. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, I think that was in the beginning of season two, two, when that basically the regime change happened. Oh, yeah, man. That I can't remember what the dude's name was who had to resign because he oh, had that shit. retirement party, remember? Yeah. yeah. And Holden got up to speak. Yeah. And then afterwards, that yeah. guy was like, you're a fucking prick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like they did this to me as a favor to allow me. Yeah. To be like, I'm retiring because yeah. I've been doing this for so long. You don't fucking get it, do you? Yeah. 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 You son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. because he's naive. Yeah. 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 You arrogant prick. Yeah. He just doesn't, he doesn't know yet. Um, but I, that's a show yeah. that if they made 50 seasons of it, it would oh, endlessly man. be 
interesting to me. That'd be great. It's yeah. so fucking dark, but it's like the the true darkness, like the instinctual darkness that exists yeah. in every one of us. And I think that's Absolutely. what what draws us in because now more than ever, like true crime and all that shit is huge. Yeah. There's a million true crime TV shows, podcasts, all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, it, it, there's, there's such a, a level to it as well. Um, I, I think, you know, and that's where, like, I, I've put a lot of, you know, I've been writing uh, a lot of, like, I'm currently writing a script and a screenplay right now um, that kind of touches on a lot of that, you know, because, because they were, you know, and I, I even said it that, that one night, you know, that, that um, out with, when we first had the, the first Black Plague, right, it caused the great renaissance afterwards. Yeah. So like right now we're we're in a mini black plague where it's like we have this unknown shit that everybody's going to get and you have to get this you have to you know and it's so dividing and and it's either you're going to live or you're going to kill everybody, you know, it's this kind of way that it is. And um and out of that I know that it's it's going to cause a lot of people to really question their purpose in life. And, and, and out of that, you know, like, you know, I guess somebody like me, I guess I stand out because it's like, I, I, I've danced, I've danced in that, that area of death and, uh, and, and kind of have gone and kind of done my own thing. So. Well, what was it like when, when COVID first started becoming a thing, what was going through your head as a person and as a professional? Well, to be, to be honest, I was out of the game. I got out of the game. I went, I moved to Miami. We haven't got to that part of the story yet. <laughs> uh, I got out of the game altogether. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't want to, I don't want to do, I don't want to do the autopsy thing. I don't want to do any of this shit anymore. I'll do it on my terms. And, and I backed out and started doing, uh, um, you know, more, I guess, more independent um, family requests. I, I ended up partnering up with this other pathologist and I did that on the side when I had time. And uh, the other thing that I was doing is I was actually head of security for the Miami Improv. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was hanging out with a lot of uh, comedians and actors there. And, uh, and I was doing some, I was doing open mic stand-ups and, and I was actually, I had a whole bit worked out um, that was gonna talk about death and dying. And it was gonna be the lecture that I used to give uh, and, and explaining what, what, what's, what happens with an autopsy, you know, and, and it actually, it was all set up to go through and COVID canceled that. Damn. So I was working, um, that's, I guess that's the struggle is like to, to do the acting you have to, especially later in life, like I, like I've gotten into it cause I've really, I've really pushed towards the acting thing in the last the past 10 years, um, you know, when I really started doing it, um, started doing stage plays and started doing commercials and started doing short films and, and then got lucky and landed a couple feature films and, and I've worked my way up. Um, when I started in Cleveland, Ohio and, and did some stuff in Miami, Florida, and now I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and, and doing a lot more kind of all around, I think my agency that I'm with, uh, um, BMG, they're they're starting to they're they're typically more 
like uh, more more like models and stuff like that. Yeah. So with, with me, they're they're getting these great opportunities, and I'm just trying to land land the right one or find the right one at this point. Yeah. So, but it gets that gets frustrating because it's like if you if you're not. It's it's a very weird zone, especially in this area of the country, and and um, is because we're there's a lot of at will states, you know, uh, to to do the work as well as to do acting. Well, two states that that border Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia are both huge in the in the film yeah, industry. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, and now like I've got my hands a little bit dabbling in the L.A. market, but that L.A. market's kind of it's funky right now, where it seems like it's it's not sure what to do when there's such a flood of people that are leaving California and coming to places like Tennessee or places like Miami. Yeah. So uh, it's it's definitely changing, and or they're coming to Georgia and shit, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, even as a musician, there there were times where I was just looking for extra work, and yeah. I got cast as like it's just background extra shit. But still, it's cool. But but it's cool. Like yeah. there was one. Um, one movie that that really uh, that was cool to do it was um, this Lifetime movie about Patsy Cline and Loretta Lynn. Oh, yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, oh, yeah, um, yeah, shit. And uh, it's funny because the the four or five things I've done, uh, it's always been like clean cut, period piece. Yeah. Uh, like fifties, sixties. Like my hair right now, it's it's longer than I usually <laughs> even have it. This yeah. is long hair yeah. for me. Um, <laughs> So it's just kind of it was kind of funny because they, it, it's always the kind of thing where it's like if you if you fit the clothes you got the part yeah yeah exactly um, so they, they if you got me. the clothes you got the part yeah you're like, you're like oh okay they uh, <laughs> they dressed me in this old cowboy Opry outfit oh, okay and it was really cool and I was on stage while they were performing and like I I've never even I've never even seen any of the shit that I've done I was also in this. Uh-huh random music video that was filmed at Patsy Cline's house. Okay. For this girl, it was just like cool. random pop, like generic. The music wasn't even good. <laughs> but th- that was another thing where they're like, hey, we got this suit that'll really fit you <laughs> and we'll put you in this shot. Um, right because on. I'm kind of slender, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like any any old school clothes, vintage clothes usually fit me well yeah, just yeah. because of my build. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they put me in this this suit. It, it looked like it was something out of Mad Men too. Nice. Um, but yeah, the, it's so random. Like it, that's not even something. Like I never intentionally did that. It was just <laughs> desperately like I need five hundred dollars for rent, and this is yeah. two hundred fifty of it. It's, uh, um, I understand. So that that's always been like ha- like the shit that I've done. I've ne- I've never had any ambitions as as an actor or anything like that. If the opportunity came along to try shit of course i would try something yeah but um now at this point it's kind of going back to what we were talking about towards the beginning of the conversation there's so many hours in life there are other people who can do that job who want it better yeah or want it more than i do because it wasn't even a thing where i'm like i'm really clamoring for this role i was just like i need 250 dollars i hope i get this no i and that's that's always um like I, i remember First starting out in that 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 acting in in the first like so many years, you know like you 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 always want the opportunity, you want to be able to show what you got, and so you're you're willing to act wherever it is, and sometimes that's even why I still do 
the 48-hour film festival stuff is because it, it still gives me the opportunity to jump in and do something. If I've got the time, I'll, I'll absolutely do it. Yeah. Well, so. it's, um, it goes back to you like trying to master that craft. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Know? It's so ungodly. But, but any art is, is a long process. Yeah. You know, because you're always trying to push yourself into something different and something yeah. more. Well, even going back to like the, the songs that I did for Lost in a Glimpse. Nice. I, I wanted to do something that was like Giallo films. You know about Giallo films at all? No, not so. So the, it's Italian films from the 70s, horror movies. Okay, okay. That are mo- mostly based off of crime novels that have these yellow covers. So Giallo is yellow in Italian. Oh, okay. Um, so, so all these films, they got turned into books, into movies. Yeah. And they, they were American books that got translated. Okay. But um, all these different bands and, and well, really, it was like just a couple of musicians, like session musicians there. Yeah. And the composers would basically drag and drop. So the composers would okay. come in. Not all that unsimilar to like The Wrecking Crew. Sure. In, in the 60s in L.A. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of my influence because a lot of that music, it's, uh, it's a hybrid of they're, they're trying to sound American. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like this pastiche of like jazz and blues and folk and country, yeah. but as Italians would play it, they don't yeah. have the cultural reference and that's not a dig on them. No. It makes it sound really cool. Yeah. It yeah. makes it sound weird. And like Tarantino used some of that stuff in his movies and, and all of that and spaghetti Westerns, of yeah. course too. But, um, I, I wanted to, to do something along those lines and like for, for your theme in the film, yeah. uh, it's called Sidewinder. That's the name of the song. <laughs> But nice. I wanted to create something kind of loungy and weird that, like, a serial killer lurking yeah. in a bar room would, would walk into. Yeah. And then the, the theme, uh, Sasha's Eyes, which was the, the theme of the main character, her name was, was Sasha. Yeah. I was trying to do uh, something really mysterious in the verses and then in the chorus make it yeah. kind of uplifting because those were kind of the notes that, like, uh, John had given me for that. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, uh, for that, that one thing where the fight scene, like the music for the fight scene, that was pure Tarantino, like (laughs) surf rock, spaghetti Western. I was like, you've just got to hold out some chords and put some reverb on it. And it sounds cool when people fight. (laughs) Um, but yes, as far as artistic pursuit, this was the first time that I really got to explore that aspect when it was something I I was clamoring to do for so long, like waiting for the opportunity to come along where I could work in film in some capacity yeah. because I knew like so much of the, of my music and my production styles, very cinematic. Like yeah. even the, the song songs I write with lyrics and vocals and all that. Yeah. I, I, I try to create a scene. Yeah. I try to set something like I try to make, make a world. I, I, I try to, I like, I write a lot of, about characters and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Steely Dan is a big influence. Um, yeah, Steely Dan's fucking amazing. I could talk about them all day, (laughs) but, um, yeah, what what you were saying about artistic pursuits, there's really no finish line creatively. There can be peaks and there can be valleys and both are natural. And, and for me, like that's, uh, I guess that's kind of why I I was able to kind of hit some of the, the spots that I was able to hit within, uh, for the movie. You know, because I, I typically get cast as that bad guy, 
Um, and so I'm able to kind of convey that enough where the audience understands that and buys into it. Um, but the kind of the, the, the bit that I can kind of shock them on was the, the emotional range that I can get, which I've done those, but it, you know, more in like short, short films and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where I've played like the, you know, the, the agonizing grieving father that's, that sat and watched his whole family disappear in front of his eyes because he works too much or something like that. You know, like, so I, I, I've, I've been in those spots, um, more, more times than I've been the, there was a project I did. It was like one of my first feature films. Uh, and I played like a, uh, a handicapped doctor, um, that was creating this kind of like saving virus for, for people. Um, I guess everybody, it's like a future u- utopia kind of a thing where people's eyesight is, is compromised with the environment. And so I, I created this, this bit to help repair cellular generation, regeneration. So it was like a, a Michael Morbius thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> before, yeah, yeah. No, Pre, sure. Pre-Morbius, though. Yeah, I, I, I didn't limp as much as he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and uh, what the hell? But, like, yeah, it was, you know, I sat down with that director, and it was a Cleveland director, and, you know, he did a great job, you know? And, but it was, like, one of the first movies that I played, and I, I was able to play sympathetic, you know, and I got my ass kicked. So it was, it's fun to be able to, to, to be able to fool the audience enough. You know, you want them to believe that I can, I can do these things. Yeah. You know? Well, going back to Lost in a Glimpse, I mm-hmm. guess what sticks out to me about your role mm-hmm. is you do go from, there, there's a great character arc for your character in particular yeah. because you go from being a villain yeah. to someone who is human. Yeah. The, yeah. The, it, it, like, brings to light yeah. why the fight happened or whatever. And if you're like wondering what the fuck we're talking about, go watch Lost in a Glimpse on YouTube. Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, it's worth it. It's, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not long. It. It's like eight minutes. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, I, I, I personally enjoyed it because like that was, you, you could easily look at how my character was perceived as an embellishment in her eyes. You know that it that none of it really kind of went down the way that you saw that the viewers saw. Interesting. It. I know never really saying? thought of it that way, yeah. but yeah. But it, and it can all be based off of her retelling that to to the character that was played by Matt. I think it was McMatt Welsh, uh, the the other bartender in in the in the whole whole point. You know, so like I I thought of that artistically that it's it's not necessarily what you see as the viewer, but it can be what she is conveying as the main narrator, as the first person. The unreliable that. narrator. Exactly. And then you kind of see at the very end the reality of it. Uh, well, the, of my that's character. what makes John a great director. I'm yeah. excited to actually, next time he does something, if I take part, if, I'm, if he yeah. asks me to take part in it, I'll, I will always work with him now. But I want to, um, I'd like to at least be a little bit on site to kind of get, get a feel for things yeah. being there. Yeah. Um, cause like I said, like the, the creative process, I was so isolated and it wasn't it, not in a bad way, no. not in a bad way. Cause it allowed me to work very quickly. Cause yeah. Yeah. what I didn't, what we didn't really talk about, like this was for a, the 48 hour film festival here in Nashville. Yes. So all, all the work that we did was done over the course of 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Which, from 
everything, which everything. is amazing. Yeah, which is amazing, especially from like you know your your position. You know, like I, I could improv some bullshit on the spot as long as I know what my main drives and motivations are for my character. But but for you, you have to be able to capture a tone, and that that takes a lot of talent. And I and I applaud well, you for that. I, I feel similarly to, and I appreciate you saying that. But I feel similarly to the way that that you do on it, where it's like, okay, I kind of have an idea of this yeah. because the, the the music in a movie is also a character. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's absolutely. another character, just absolutely. just like the 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 city or the scene or the place that they are yeah. as a character. It has its own vibe and its own feeling. It's a cerebral version of yes, the character. Yes, absolutely. And that that's like why I love film so much. And we talked about this when we went out to dinner that one night. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino. I mean, he yeah. is the master of picking the perfect song for the perfect yeah. moment in yeah. his films. And Martin Scorsese is another one that you could say yeah. also does the same thing. And those were kind of always the director's that I've been super into the the uh, the auteurs. Yeah, <laughs> they ha- they very much have their own style. Yes, um, and and it's very distinct. And like with with Tarantino, I, I've always related to him more than I even have um, any other music producers or anything like that because uh, he is the writer director mm-hmm. and he hires all the other pieces yeah. and brings them in and brings something to life. And it's his vision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. I, I, that, that's always what I've tried to do with music, even for my own, like, solo music, which eventually it will be released. Yeah. Uh, I was playing – I recorded some songs at Blackbird last year, and they were supposed to come out at the end of last year, and then all that shit happened. Nice. Um, but, yeah, I, I really – I always try and hire the, the, the right pieces. It's like yeah. when he, he – write, like – from a writer's perspective, I try and write like a role for Samuel L. Jackson yeah. or a role for Uma Thurman. Yeah. And it's my friend who plays guitar or my friend who plays drums. Yeah. Cause I'm like, this is fucking perfect for them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's artistically whoever can, can give your, your vision light, you know, um, that's, that's the reason why like, you know, obviously like Samuel L. Jackson and Quentin Tarantino, they both vibe on, on that level. And uh, they're able to make a connection. And Samuel L. Jackson, you know, he plays some very interesting fucking characters. Yeah. You know? And, and that's something that, you know, I, I think that I've, uh, I've even heard, like, those, those kind of, like, those, those moments and those gra- grabs where, like, when he, uh, Samuel L. Jackson was approached for, for uh, Django. And he's like, you want me to be a, a house, house slaver? Like, like, that's what you want? And he goes, what? And he goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You know, and he explains himself, and he's like, he's like, all right, you know, I, I, I can do that. He's you know? a great villain in, yeah. in Django too. But and and but like it, he, that character, he makes Calvin Candy that much stronger of a character because he enables Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Steve, you know, Stephen, Stephen is he's fucking super smart in the whole scene because he sifts, he smell, he smells out the bullshit too sweet. Man. He, he, he fucking, knew right yeah. away that something was up with he's Django like, yeah. and. And yeah. uh, Schultz, that, yeah. that was Christoph Waltz's yeah, yeah, character, yeah. right? He yeah. knew right away Schultz. something was going on. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's bullshit, you know? Like, yeah. but that's, he called him out. Yeah. And that's great because otherwise Calvin Candy would have never known. But, you know, and, and then that, their plan would have gone down perfectly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's what's interesting because you're, you know, you sit there and you watch it from the audience perspective and you're like, 
oh, fuck, the main characters are not ready for this, but I know this. Yeah. You know? And so, like, that's where the tension becomes really palpable in, in Django. Yeah. Well, you look, too, at uh, Pulp Fiction, which it's a movie I've seen a million fucking times in my life. Side, side note, I just spent two weeks in Inglewood, and uh, I, ha- I, I had to have breakfast. I went to Pan's, yeah, over that Pan's. The diner? Sat, yeah, the diner and sat and had fucking coffee. And Did it look stuff. exactly oh, like yeah, it? Totally, totally. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah. But um, getting back to that. Yeah, sorry. So, no, no, because this ties in. That yeah. final scene where they're in the diner and yeah. everything kind of intersects and connects finally. Yeah. All yeah. The, like these stories in a way, yes. the different stories intersect. Everything intersects at that point. But you see the growth of Samuel L. Jackson's character in yeah. that moment. Yeah. Because he starts off as a cold-blooded killer, which he is. Yeah. He's a cold, he doesn't give a fuck. He's a, yeah. a low-rent hitman. Yeah. He's very experienced. You know he's been doing this for a long time. And then he has a moment where uh, fucking uh, Tim Roth's character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. Ringo. Yeah. Um, Ringo and Honey Bunny. Yeah. He's like, he basically so, explains, I'm trying to have empathy for you right now. Yeah. And I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. But you're the weak. Yeah, but you're, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you're the weak. Yeah. And I am the tyranny of evil men. Yeah. You know? And yeah, that's, um, I, I've done that scene breakdown, uh, and it's, it's fucking fantastic. Because it, it really is. It's, it's him having that, that come to Jesus moment where, where what is he going to do with the rest of his life? Yeah. And I think that... Walk you know, the earth. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think he's going to say? I don't give a damn what he does. You know? I, yeah. love, I love that whole shit. But it's like... But that's exactly it. You know? Um, having that moment where you, you go, is this it for me? Is this, is this what I want my life to be? A moment of clarity. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, you know, when that, all that shit comes down, that's why he turns around and opens up Bad Motherfucker and he gets yeah. him $1,500. I will shoot this son of a bitch on principle. God damn, you won't do a goddamn thing. You know? And he, bitch, you know, shut yeah, the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, he's like, this is going to be a little successful score because he gives him that money. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, he goes, I'm not, I'm not, I'm paying for your life. Yeah. So then you can take this, take your money and get the fuck out of here. What do you think was in the briefcase? Oh, shit. Uh, that is, that, that is one of those sub, total subjective things. Like, it, I agree. Yeah. It, it could be, you know, like. I, I know it really is in it, but it was just like like fucking lights and a switch or some yeah. shit. Um, but it's it's totally that that kind of oh, fuck. I can't remember what the hell they. I just I just heard what the damn the the fucking thing what it was called. MacGuffin. Yes, yeah, yeah. the fucking MacGuffin. Yeah, damn thing. Um, you know, ugh, but it's it could be anything. Yeah. And I think that that's the point of the MacGuffin. You know, Hitchcock used the shit out of it all the time. And it's, it's whatever the, it's, it is whatever the viewer thinks. And, and that's because that's, that's what incorporates you in the story. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's what it is to you. To me, it's a fucking brick of heroin, you know? Yeah. Like, it's a brick of heroin that they, that a bunch of, bunch of fucking deadbeat dealers couldn't, didn't, thought that they could, and they couldn't fucking move it and push it. So then that's why they came in and said, okay, you didn't honor your fucking agreement, and they shot them all. Yeah. You know? There, there's a million theories out there for what it is. Um, I think 
overall, Pulp Fiction is Tarantino's most philosophical film. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, like, in the rest of his other movies, it's very... Excuse me. I mean, it's just Tarantino-esque. That's the way yeah. to describe. Well, it, it, he he throws down a lot of those, you know, like his personality, you know, like the whole Arnold one, yeah, that the pig better be one motherfucking charming pig. Yeah. Arnold from Green Acres. You know, it, it's that, at what point do we value things? That's, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's the moments like that where you have, you know, it, 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 when a person, if you have it personality, does that define mm-hmm. it as something? You know, there's that debate. And then the, the, uh, is, is intention, you know, I've given tons of guys foot massages. Will you give me a foot massage? Fuck you. You know, it's one of those moments where he's like, he goes, listen, you could say that a foot massage don't mean shit, but you know, you know, it means something. Yeah. Especially when you're putting your hands on somebody's feet. He goes, that's always with that intention of sticking your tongue in the holiest of holes. Yeah. You know? So like that's it's that that kind of that shift you know you have that thought where and where do you draw the line it is there's a lot of thoughts to it you know like if you lead a bad life is it is it worth it you know like uh, or or like you have somebody like the Bruce Willis character you know where he's like he's gonna take a dive he's gonna he's gonna eat shit but then he turns around and screws Marcellus Wallace at the end and ditches out of town but then yeah he saved he yeah saves he saves him. him yeah yeah and and like uh, that to me like Bruce Willis's character represents in a lot of ways great like yeah. du- duality of man yeah and and the same thing with um like Butch that that was his character's name yeah. Butch Coolidge which is a yeah. great name for a boxer. yeah yeah. Butch Coolidge and uh, Jules, yeah. they're really two sides of the same coin in a lot yeah. of ways because yeah. it's about the principle of it. Yeah. And in a moment, all of a sudden, print the principle of what like Jules' character, Samuel Jackson's character, uh, it just changed yeah. at the drop of a hat because Absolutely. a miracle happened. Yeah. And a character like Ringo or even a character like uh, Vincent Vega, yes. they are more of... They don't believe shit. They don't yep. care about shit. Yep. And like Ringo's character, it's out of pure ignorance. Yeah. Vince's character, in a way, it's also out of pure ignorance. But he ignores, he ignores that same event of the divine intervention happening where that guy shot them, and he's like, yep. it didn't mean shit. It's yeah. just another day. <laughs> and it's the way two people see an event. You know what I mean? Do you, do you think that? Do you think that Tar- uh, that Travolta got that role only because of Vinnie Barbarino? Because like he kind of plays a dumbass, you know. Well, where where that Jules puts his ass in line, everybody puts his fucking ass in line all of the time. At Harvey Keitel, the, yeah, the yeah, wall. Exactly. yeah, yeah, I he's fucking like, love pretty that. fucking pleased. Yeah, yeah, with the cherry on top. Yeah, um, clean yeah. the fucking car. Well, I I think it, I think it was that I think like Travolta at that point he was so low down in his career. I yeah. think he was doing like. Look who's talking to. Yeah. Or look who's talking now or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. He was not like a Hollywood household name. He had this great career in the 70s where he he did Welcome Back, Cotter, and then he did uh, Grease. Yeah. Um, Yeah. In in Saturday Night uh, Fever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he was like this cultural icon in the 70s and through the 80s, his star kind of faded. And Tarantino was like, no, he's still a good fucking actor. Something's here. Like you don't do those movies in the way that he did them, and and just nothing. It means nothing. You yeah. know what I mean. Absolutely. And that's always been Tarantino's specialty. 
all of these actors that kind of faded through time yeah. in their careers, he was able to be like, no, there's a, still a fucking good actor. I'm yeah. going to put them in this movie and write this role for them. Yeah, yeah, they're per- like he he really he pulls out some of these some of these older actors from like the seventies that were just underappreciated, and and he Pam really Rear and Jackie yeah, Brown, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and that was that's a that's a uh, it it's a gem, it really is, you know that that's a good one. Um, there there's there's some Tarantino movies that are like you're like okay I kind of see what he was doing there. You know, like like Death Proof and stuff yeah. like that. Like, but it, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah, and Kurt Russell's fucking great in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this fucking uh, yeah, this car is pretty much hundred percent death proof from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Boom, boom, you know, and yeah. the fucking girl's like, ah, shit. You know. <laughs> it was like, and it was cool to see you know Kurt Russell be like a, a, a villain bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which he ended up doing a couple other villain type things, even with like Marvel's uh, Guardians of the, Gar- the Galaxy too. Oh yeah, like yeah. That, you know. Um, and he had that really impressive uh, shit, the the Hateful Eight, where he he plays a kind of a mean son of a bitch, the Hangman, yeah, yeah. John Ruth, yeah, yeah. How you like them bells, bitch? And he smacks that girl on the head. Was she? God, Jennifer Jason Lee, Jesus, God, she did a great fucking job in that role. Oh yeah, she I, was amazing. I saw that movie uh, in, the, in the theater. Yeah. And I think every movie since Django I've I've seen in the theater for Tarantino. Yeah. Which it's been Django, Hateful Eight, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. But um, the movie, like, that one scene in fucking The Hateful Eight where... What's his name? Uh, Channing Tatum. Oh, he pops. He pops out of the ground, gets his head fucking blown. Yeah, off. like instantaneously. So, yeah, yeah. And it, it, that's the other thing that I love about Tarantino. He, it's really cartoonish violence yeah. all the time. Yeah. But it's played for horror, and it's also played for violence. Yeah. Like something completely horrific. It's the rape scene in Pulp it's, Fiction. Yeah. But then the scene in. Um, that I just mentioned with Channing Tatum where he yeah. gets his head blown off. There was, there was audible laughter in the theater when that happened. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know I did. And yeah. then like, uh, even, even the same thing with once upon a time in, in, uh, Hollywood where, uh, what the, 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 the Tex Watson, you know, character when, and I don't want heart, sorry to be a spoiler, but like fucking the movie's old. If you haven't seen it by now, yeah, go, go yeah, fucking do watch your, it. Yeah. Do yourself a fucking favor. Jesus Christ. Um, there, there's, uh, there's a spot where Tex Watson gets gets shot, like he gets like beat up, and he gets he get you know he gets kind of brutalized. And By Brad Pitt's character. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I I like I looked at that and and I started laughing, and then I was like, oh, uh, for for me it was kind of a weird different thing where I was like, it to me I looked at it as Tarantino looking on Hollywood fondly, and and remembering and reliving all of the glory that it once was. And then this moment that the, the, the whole Manson murders did, it ended, it, it, it ended that age of innocence of, of naive, naive ignorance that we had, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it kind of made things a little bit more visceral and more real. Yes. And, And, and all of these that, you know, like it, it broke that whole close knit, Bond, I think that Hollywood once had, and that could be me talking out of my ass, but this is my interpretation of it. Absolutely. You know? Well, that that scene in particular that you're talking about, it was a tonal shift in yep. the movie. It that that's the closest I would say 
that Tarantino's actually gotten to like a horror tone. Yeah. Because it, it was kind of scary at first. It, he really built up a lot of tension to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like you're, you really like, like for me, it was like, I don't know if everybody else felt this way, but for me, I was like, I was like, oh fuck, they're, this is going to end poorly because I know, I know how this goes. And then him taking it into a completely different direction. Like he did with Inglorious Bastards. Exactly, exactly. But I Which think is great. To, to credit, to give credit to what you were saying, yeah. he um, he was taking that back. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, yeah. in the same way killing killing Hitler in yeah. a very graphic way yeah. was kind of taking that back and being Absolutely. like, fuck this. Yeah. That's what uh, killing, like basically, like... What I loved about that movie is anytime there was hippies around, they were like these dirty damn fucking hippies. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's how uh, Leo Leo and um, Brad Pitt talked about them the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. And at the end, when uh, Sharon Tate doesn't get killed, yeah. And fucking what's his name comes to the gate. Um, I can't remember his character's name, but he's a great actor. It wasn't like Roman Polanski, right? No, it was the the. Ex-boyfriend of Sharon Tate. Oh, um, uh, that that hung around. John Seabreeze was it? Uh, yeah, it was something yeah, like that. Yeah, um, I can't remember. It. But uh, yeah, so and he, he asked fucking uh, Leo like what happened, and he's like, yeah. oh, it was just some some, some fucking yeah, hippies. Yeah, some they were drugged out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even that That's scene, interesting. like th- that whole movie up, I would say the movie changes once you get to the point of being on Spawn Ranch, yeah. but everything until that point, it's like this great movie about friendship and how friendship <laughs> changes as you get older yeah, and yeah. how like life changes and things happen and, and all, and I, it, it's uh, in a lot of ways, I think it's his, his best fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, there, it was, you know, and it, I guess it's kind of an interesting thing of, uh, of, of seeing different ways of telling stories. Um, I, I thought it was going to be like, I think it was Remember Me. I, I, I don't know if that's the, the exact name of it. You remember, there was a movie by, uh, I think it was uh, by Patterson, um, the one that was, he was playing Batman, where he, he played this, this kid that was having all of these problems and he was all, fu- it was, he was fucked up. He's a great like, actor. Yeah, oh yeah, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah he's, he's really good. And, but he did this thing where it was like, it was like his his character was all fucked up, and he was like on his last thing, and and he's finally his the arch of the character is starting to be on the upswing, and he just got a job, and the job starts, and his life's looking around, and guess what? First day of his job, September 11th. Oh, and it's God. like he's in the fucking buildings, and and you're just like, oh Jesus, what a downer of a movie. Yeah, you know, big but, time. But like that was, you know, just I guess it just kind of as I'm writing my own story, it, it just makes me look at these different stories to see how they they kind of inner um, how di- how people choose to tell different stories in different ways. Have you seen any movies by S. Craig Zoller? I I don't believe that I have. He did Bone Tomahawk. With Patrick Wilson and Kurt Russell, I did see that. I did see that then. Um, I, I he, take that back. Which that was a that was an interesting and good movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, really it was, was a horror western. Interesting. Yeah. And it, it, his movies are long. He's a novelist also. Okay. And that's what he did for years and years until he finally got a chance. On my my other podcast, uh, Man of Science, Man of Faith, the show I used to do. Okay. Um, we interviewed Dallas Saunier, who it was a producer for all of his movies, wow. for S. Craig's movies. Like he did. Um, that's fucking cool. Brawl and Cell Block 99. You're right on. And that was Vince Vaughn. Yeah. 
And then he did um, Dragged Across Concrete, which no joke is... Have you seen that? I have not. Dude, it is the best fucking movie maybe of the past 20 years. (laughs) Okay. I I can't recommend it enough. It's a slow burn mystery thriller. Okay. Like very pulpy. Yeah. Um, Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn, Hmm. Don Johnson, Jennifer Carpenter. No. Um, It's... it's Watch it, dude. Okay. But that that's one we could talk about philosophically for hours. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I could do that shit all the time. Um, but yeah, as Craig Zoller, he's he's a great uh a great director and someone that his movies are almost like a hard watch. Like you watch Bone Tomahawk, so you yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh um, I've seen I've seen some I've seen some tough ones to watch. Yeah. And I've watched a lot of movies. Yeah. I would know? recommend watching watching his movies. Yeah. Um but I won't keep you for too long. We've, we've oh, already good. been going for a while. Um, where can people find you at? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm typically based out of Nashville, Tennessee, but I, I kind of travel all around to do the, do, the, do the autopsy thing. But you can kind of follow some of the things that I'm doing. Uh, typically at Instagram, um, you, I have a morgue candy yeah. is kind of like the which handle. Which is a great handle. Which for this is, since this is a Halloween show, I can kind of let you into this one. I was working at the, the University of Pittsburgh uh, in, in their basement. And uh, I was I was managing their morgue just for a, a very short period of time. I, I was kind of honestly, I was kind of like sitting in that spot to see what else was, what else could get, you know, what else I could kind of jump into, um, business wise. So I was there, and now anybody that does autopsies knows that there are containers that we keep the organs in. And uh, there's there's these medium-sized buckets, like the buckets that you have, like ice cream, five-gallon buckets. When you take a brain out, you suspend that in formaldehyde. And so what I ended up doing is I had a bucket that was a brain bucket, but it was clean. But I wrote like kind of like an autopsy number on it and you know, just like a dummy number, a dummy name and stuff like that and set it on my desk. So somebody would, you know, somebody came in and they're like, well, hey, what? Like you're you're eating your lunch. Like what isn't like why do you have a brain sitting here right on your desk? And I was like, oh, this is this is just morgue candy. So you could pop it open, and I had Halloween candy in it. So that's the stupid idea behind morgue candy. It's just something different. Um, but you can also see I, I have a uh, a series that I'm in that was uh, created out of um, Columbus, Ohio. Um, by a, a very prominent group of, of folks called at the at I seventy one Films. It's called uh, Saint Gabriel's uh, Sins of the Past. It's going to be on Tubi uh, very soon. This this actual fall. Uh, I'm not sure the exact date yet that it's yeah. going to be shown, but it's going to be streaming there. And it's a uh, it's a it's a, a, a pretty diverse cast uh, that I've been working with these folks for about eight years, and and they've. They, they've put me into a very interesting role where I, I play a very, very bad guy, um, a very, very interesting character. I play Heinrich, um, who's kind of this, uh, he's like a, uh, I don't know how to really say it, but he, he's just like this, this tormented Nazi. And, and everybody's like, yes, I am sure that Nazis should be tormented, but he's, he's doing stuff that he doesn't necessarily want to do, but he feels compelled that he has to do. So it's kind of an interesting thing, but he's just a very small part in a in a bigger picture, and and he's a very interesting, very very interesting character in this overall city of of incredibly different and diverse people. 
So it's very, it's, it's definitely worth, worth a watch. And, and, um, you can kind of see any of the stuff that I'm in, you know, um, pretty much through that Instagram or, or through IMDB. Uh, again, my name is Michael Vitovich, V-I-T-O-V-I-C-H. So, but awesome. thank you very much for having me. Dude, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Um, and here is Sidewinder. It's going <laughs> to nice. be, I'm going to drop it in post after. Right but uh, yeah, here's Sidewinder that I composed for Lost in a Glimpse. Go check out that out that right we on. did for the uh, 48-hour film festival. Here it is. <laughs>